0: give
1: a fuck about what reality is. My name is Matthew Kroll. And money doesn't buy you happiness, but it's bitter to cry in a car than it is on the subway. And in New York, I am Shahir Dow. This is the only podcast about movies. I was really about to break into a Saturday Night
0: Live. Specifically the film, Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of an intro.
1: Is really- of it, yeah, it really was. like So I, I think this is influenced by the fact that I have watched Saturday Night Live, and Saturday Night Live is a thing. Other than that, there's no, there's no, that's meaning. it. That's, that's it. the, yeah. Wow. We don't want to go
0: into the deep intricacies of like why you watched Saturday Perhaps Night I Live. Fell down.
1: It, this is may or may not be true, but I did fall down on the ice in front of Saturday Night Live. In front oh, Lord, yeah. In front of Lord Michael. I was, kind of, and I thought this is my banana peel moment. Turned out it was not.
0: Ah, uh, well, you know, <laughs> dare to dream. I, I fell into Saturday Night Live recently uh, with the new Emma Stone episode because she, uh, she redid her poster sketch. Have you ever seen those? Oh, what's the poster sketch? So she play- she's done three at this point. Yeah. And she plays a sexy like Maxim pinup girl in different things. Like there's mm. one where she's, like, she's just holding a hot dog. There's another one where she's holding a garden hose or something. Mm. But it's like about a kid who can't study. So like it's Pete Davidson or something in his <laughs> room be like, oh, I just don't get algebra. Yeah. And then it's like a famous football player being and, like, they're all in fake posters and they like come oh, alive. Okay, It's okay. like, no, you just got to understand. Like I deal with algebra all the time on the field. And mm. then it's like a movie poster whatever and it's always Emma Stone just being like yeah mm-hmm. like with me and this big thick <laughs> juicy hot dog and it's like it's just, and
1: everyone it. else is like
0: no 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 that's not what we're doing here it's, they've done it three times it's the same joke it works fucking perfectly
1: you know was funny uh, I, I saw the clips recently of Jacob Elordi from Saltburn uh-huh. it was on yep. SNL recently and I think they ran into the problem which was like hot guy is he funny Question mark, you know, like it was it was really like, how do we work through this? Is this guy funny? And yeah. I was like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the the answer to that question at this point. I didn't I, see that one. All right. And, and from the sketches, I don't know. Anyway, we are not here to talk about Saturday Night Live, but we are going to talk about a lot of things before we talk about the film that we're going to be that we're actually here to talk about. Not least of which is the Oscar nominations, which came out this week. You sure which, did. And it's funny because. Although we always talk about the fact that we don't care about the Oscars, we're so cool, yada yada yada. We always kind of gear our best of episode around what was nominated for the Oscars because we talk, we try to talk about every film that was nominated for Best Picture,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we try to. It, look, we like. I'm a sucker for structure. Yeah, I don't care if that structure is a big advertisement campaign. Yeah, uh, if they're gonna if they're gonna do the legwork. I might as well reap the, the sweet,
1: sweet benefits. The sweet, sweet benefits of picking the movies that they have marketed the most for yep. this year. Yep, like, make sure their money's well spent. Yeah, but we are, I, I am excited to talk about Justine Tria's Anatomy of a Fall, a film that I I, I saw months ago in a movie theater in Astoria by myself, <laughs> like, and I believe it was like a prime screening, like eight thirty uh, on a week uh, sure. on a weekend, and I was the only person in the theater. Wow! Uh, I, I recall coming back to you and going, "This is one of the best movies of the year." I am very curious if to if we if we hold that same opinion, but of course, just to kind of add to the fact. It was nominated for Best Picture. And that Best is Best true. Director. That uh, is true. So uh, we're in good pedigree.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the, the the awards this year, everything but a few things kind of come as no surprise. Uh, yeah. I think Oppenheimer's up for 13. Uh would have been amazing if Oppenheimer didn't get nominated nothing, for Best yeah. Nothing, I got just starfielded <laughs> out of existence. Uh, we got uh, Poor Things has 11, which I love to see, though no uh, supporting actor for Willem Dafoe, which makes me really sad. Okay. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, I believe, has 10. Yep. Uh, then good. we got Barbie down with eight. Yep. Uh, and then they sort of trickle off there. Also uh, um, knocked out of this whole thing uh, is uh, past lot li- not past lives. Um, why am oh, I past I, uh,
1: lives? Oh no, it has two. I think it has it's two not Nominated for this picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: But uh Iron Claw. Iron Claw
1: is Iron out. Iron Claw and, and in May, May December, December is yeah. out
0: yeah uh, which uh, makes me sad on both counts uh, and then obviously the 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 news raged du jour I don't know what to call it uh Barbie uh, uh, so Margot Robbie was not nominated for actress and
1: uh, Greta Gerwig was not nominated for director. Yeah, and I think there's this conversation around can a, what what does it mean when a film is nominated for Best Picture but not Best director? And I think it
0: it almost comes down to I don't I feel like best picture is is one of the most amorphous categories of the Oscars. I think it speaks to the time of the movies coming out the most. Does that make sense? Mm. Like because it's about the overarching I think for lack of a better term, either effectiveness or cultural impact in a or 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 potential cultural impact that a movie could have. I know that's not like the same. like Barbie obviously had a ton of well, it had a lot of box office impact and it had us talking about a lot of things. um so so that there, there's that i I'm really I think it's a real big misstep to not have Greta Gerwig be nominated for Barbie,
1: yeah uh, it, 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 it's first off, you know like, Um, it's not that I have indifference about this, but it's just like, um, I, hmm, no, actually, I think what I was about to say was wrong. Um, but, but, but I, you know, look, um... So the interesting thing here's yeah, okay, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, trying to pull my thoughts here. Uh,
0: so the only one of the best director picks or the yeah. nominees uh, is, is a Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. That's yeah. the one, one I haven't seen, so I can't speak to that.
1: So th- is that the yeah? So he was nominated for best director. Best director. Yeah. There's
0: also uh, Yorgos Lanthimos for Port Things, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, and uh, Justin uh, Justine Trudeau yeah. for Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. Um, I gotta say something here. Okay. Get it off your chest. I really loved Killers of the Flower Moon. I, okay. I, I did. I think there was a lot of great work done. Yeah. Maybe it's because I've seen Scorsese's excellence so much yeah. that it didn't like the directing of that movie or the way it was, you know, I, I, the, the, that vision outside of the the incredible care that he took around a story that ostensibly wasn't his mm. did not like wow me to an oscary level. Like, I understand it's a Martin Scorsese picture, so it has a certain level of prestige and craft behind it, like I get it. Yeah. Uh, I would have slated Greta, it, and my own personal bullshit Oscars, yeah. like, I would have slated her in that slot if, yeah. if I had to pick one of the four that I had seen to get the bump.
1: Right. So, yeah, and I think why, the reason why I, I retracted what I was about to say there is that is I was kind of recognizing in myself that um, the Oscars are about packaging a film. Yeah. So... So when a film gets you know like the the big thing was the big five you know best screenplay actor actress director pitcher uh, and there's only been a couple of movies that have actually won that I I, I can't recall no parasite didn't win that but Silence of the Lamb Parasite started, got four of the five I thought Silence of the Lamb certainly did uh one flow of the Nest certainly did uh, I can't maybe one of the Lord of the Rings did I you know like, Oscar history is a little bit um you know I, I'm I'm grabbing at scores here um so th- those are the big five and and I guess what what where people are reacting to in terms of Barbie is like, does that movie encompass the package um, for for a nomination? So it's not just the best picture nomination, but it's like best picture, best director, best actress, best actor, best screenwriter. So, um, and and I, you know, look, I Parasite's the last time I kind of felt that way, where it was like there was such a clear package uh, involved there. Um, I don't know if I felt that way in a while. Yeah. Uh, um, so, but well, but it, but again. It doesn't matter. It doesn't what, matter. It doesn't matter what I think about it. Um, do I think rigor would like, and this this is the thing that comes up as well, is that the Oscars tend to be picking, or the, the, the voters tend to be picking for the legacy of work as opposed to the work itself. This is, yes. you know, the, the famous case of Lord of the Rings winning for Return of the King despite people thinking Fellowship is the best of the three, yep. but it wins for like the cumulative effect yeah, of the yeah, yeah. three of the, those films. And Martin Scorsese, uh, you know, certainly just picks up the sort of cumulative award um uh Grita I uh, you know, like I would have nominated her for Ladybird, for example, but you know, I believe um, she was nominated for. Lady yeah, Bird. and that's that's the film that I would have picked yeah. her to win for. You know what you know what I mean? it's like it it's nebulous. I, 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 yeah,
0: but she yeah. also has that little women, a bunch of other movies like yeah. we could we could also vote Free for her of, here all three
1: of her films would be nominated for this picture. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, but like so cumulative it could build in that the thing that i I find interesting and this is no knock to uh Margot Robbie. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the best actress uh, nominees right now, and I haven't seen Nyad and I haven't seen uh, Maestro. So I'm not going to count those as a knockoff list, but I will say between Lily Gladstone, uh, Sandra Hewler and Emma Stone, I don't think I'd knock any of those three off. Those are three
1: incredible performances. I
0: wouldn't knock that off for Margot. One, One thing I am very, very happy for though. And I think, Because I think Margot's story of how she championed for Barbie and how she behind the scenes produced the fuck out of this movie. And that's where she's nominated. And that's where she's nominated. And I think if I was a a conspiratorial man, Mm -hmm. I think doing this decision the way that it is done... Is a real way to start shifting around. Uh, you know, uh, things could go this, that, and the other thing. Also, start a conversation before the Oscars, and then have everyone be happy again when Barbie wins. Yeah. Uh, now, I know that that's not exactly how it works, but if I were to game design this thing, that's how I do it to get optimal coverage, yeah. viewership,
1: and catharsis. Okay. Um. Anyway, it'll be interesting. It, uh. You know. Just the other thing is. Um that we talked about is the uh, variety does like this interview with an Oscar voter every year where they talk to, you know, and you realize that it's not, uh, there's no grand design to this. It is an accumulation of, uh, both, uh, a group, a massive group of yeah. Oscar voters, many of whom's interests diverge in, in very different ways. And also who has the most money to throw at it? Like to me, the iron claw, not getting a nomination speaks to, how much money was spent on that campaign by A24 versus how much they would have spent on past lives or something like that? Yeah. And whether, sometimes as well, whether like the money reflects a resonant point, like past lives, you know, which came out much earlier this year, seemed to linger in the public consciousness for a while, whereas the Iron Claw maybe didn't. Well, the Iron and- Claw came out at a Came out later in the At year an as well. At odd time. Yeah. I was going to say. I think with um and Do- zone of the interest zone of interest. I'm actually quite surprised by. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I, I'm excited to. Have you for, seen zone of interest? I man? haven't seen it yet. Okay. But uh, I I'm a big fan of Jonathan Glazer, and I'm very curious to see what he does with that. Uh, so
0: best original score also has Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny, which means um John Williams John Williams has the most nominees of any human alive. Cool. Ever uh, at the Oscars, I believe. Uh, there's a bunch of like little small things in here that yeah. is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so we'll see how it goes. I also love that Godzilla minus one is up for visual effects. Yep. I think great that's really great
1: that they had of uh, of them uh, reacting to the nomination as well. Oh, love, no, I really? I haven't those. seen that. Yeah, love uh, watching that. Yeah.
0: Anyway, I I I I think this is going to be a good show.
1: Uh, no. I don't but, know, but but as the years go on, my interest in like who has won and who hasn't, you know. Has waned very significantly. It goes and, up it, and down for and, me, and and only because I think part of what we do in the show is like we we look at films analytically from uh, the point of view of like what is worth your time, and and you know sometimes the, you know there's a film on here that we did this year, the Eight Mountains, that's nowhere to be reflected in the Oscars, and that is very much a film that I will be championing as one that is worth your time. Yeah, and so you know it doesn't really matter to me what you know what got kind of nominated. Yeah. I, I I do love it when Parasite wins. I do love it when
0: Moonlight wins, you know? Um I uh, I think there's only three best picture novels I haven't seen. There's American Fiction, which I am dying to see, Maestro and Zone of Interest.
1: Those are the three films that we have to do on this podcast. Isn't that a coincidence? Isn't that a coincidence? A coincidence. <laughs> so we'll be coming up to those, but we'll also be reading your emails, uh, which we have been again receiving a backlog of, and I'm very appreciative of those. Thank you to everyone that email to send at only at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, before we read them, if you want to talk to us about what you think about the Oscar picks or anything we say today, please do so. Start your email right now, but don't hit send. Until you're
1: done with the episode, do you but, sit on an email? Do you sit on an email for a while before you hit send? oh uh, if it's if it's to
0: someone as prestigious and uh, acclaimed as us, absolutely, I okay. want to make sure I'd be putting our best
1: first foot forward. <laughs> or do uh, you like? I, I do, uh, yeah. Because actually, dear th- sir or madam, <laughs> one thing is, all of our emails are very well formatted that people send to us and very well written out. I I do. I I would love to get an email saying. Matt Badger hear good kind of thing or like or, I don't want that or like Barbie good you guys suck I mean I guess I don't know if I'd it's love in- that
0: uh, I, I guess engagement is engagement but that's not really
1: the same with email we just have never received an email like that so I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of curious how that works anyway Uh, Definitely an email not written in that style, but one that I did have to abridge for spoilers. Callan wrote us in. Hey guys, hope you're both doing well. I finally got around to seeing May, December and listening to your episode on it and have a couple of quick thoughts and questions. First, I'm interested in your takes on this movie purposely being a dark comedy that revels in the melodrama subgenre. I was initially surprised when I saw some of the internet classify this as a comedy, including being nominated in the musical comedy category at the Golden Globes. I'm coming around to it, even though I didn't laugh once. Not even at the hot dog line. That is a great line, by the way. Big, uh, <laughs> juicy, a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, not that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, nice. Uh, and found the whole movie pretty disturbing and upsetting. I can totally see the melodrama influences in Haynes and uh, Sammy Birch's love of those films. Did you guys see this as a comedy initially or as a straight horror show? Sicken, getting into spoilers, and this is, by the way, where I bridged. Uh, though it's been over a month, so hopefully it's okay. I wondered what you guys thought of Natalie Portman's performance in the final minutes of the movie. As always, thanks for the great discussion. So first off, uh, May December comedy, comedy drama. What are you where May December comedy drama? Where are you at?
0: I mean, it's a drama overall, but a comedy drama is kind of or comedy comedy musical also like is a dumb category at the Golden. Glo- like it's it's it encompasses so much weird stuff that like whenever someone's like, oh this. um 1970s anime of like, whatever the hell is also a, 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 a comedy musical. It counts there or whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, of course it does. Cause that's the category they throw where they don't know where to throw things. Right. Um, I don't consider it a comedy, but I think there are ways that dramas and especially darker ones can throw a laugh or two your way it is helpful on the roller coaster. That is the experience. If it's yeah. all fucking doom and gloom and you are just in hell the entire time that's an experience but it also doesn't feel like a human one like i don't know about you shahir or kellen uh, at home but like whenever there's a dark time in my life or i experience some sort of pain or loss or something i feel terrible for as long as i feel terrible but there will be moments where something funny and stupid happens and it like it doesn't get me out of it but it feels real to have moments that would be considered Uh, that one watching could be like, Oh Jesus. Like, you know what I mean? So like, I think it's a real boon to it. I personally, obviously the hot dog line is the the main one here, but there's another line when uh, she's talking to um, the woman's adult son, who's playing at the bar. Yeah. Like that type of like, The comedy there served both as an ease in a weird moment, but also like really informed who the hell that character was for later. Right. And so I feel like all of the laughs for the most part in this movie uh, in May, December were very purposeful and like placed in very precise ways to make it feel like, well, this is just the comedy of errors in a sense when it happens and you just get to laugh for a moment during this really. Fucked up situation.
1: Yeah, I think for me, uh, Kellen's kind of onto a point here, which is that it is a reflection of the melodrama. Uh, well, the melodrama genre, um, particularly Douglas Sirk, you know, who uh, we talked about as being a major influence on Todd Haynes. Um, I think the the interesting thing here is that there is a search for brevity in a situation that is inherently absurd. And, and maybe kind of pointing out the absurdity of it throughout, particularly in the way that the score is deployed in this film, the Michelle Legrand score. Um I was fortunate enough to see this in a movie theater. Todd Haynes was in attendance or introduced the film and then and then came and talked afterwards. So I think there was that there was that invitation to respond to the movie loudly. And one of the best ways you can respond to a movie is to laugh when a movie kind of tells you to laugh. Um so I I did find it kind of amusing um at times. And then and then uh Callan in this email kind of asks a question about Natalie Portland's final moments. There was a strange moment. Towards the end of the movie, where I think I I turned to uh the person I was sitting with or after the movie and I was like, was there a vibrator in that scene? And I didn't, you know, like it felt like they might have been. And I, you know, we never see it, but I was like, was there a vibrator in that scene? Um That's an odd <laughs> it was it was an odd pull because there was this sound, and I was like, I'm just not sure if the subway's running past the movie theater at this point. Yeah, but I didn't it, catch that. It went but, in my house, there wasn't there. Yeah, but but it felt like there was like something happening in the scene. And in the in a way, That made it funnier for me was like we were, you know, because he actually thought the same thing, and we were like kind of bemused at the idea that they might have been that the film didn't show, or they might not have been, and we were just imagining it. So Chekhov's (laughs) Chekhov's vibrator. vibrator. Um, So again, I'll I'll leave that for uh, my ska band. (laughs) Yeah, Chekhov's vibrator is a good name. (laughs) Um, I'll leave that for interpretation for now. If anyone else has seen the movie and. Uh, knows what I could possibly be talking about. Uh, it has to do with one of Natalie Portman's final scenes. But as far, as, but as, far as the performance goes, you hear? As far as the performance goes, well, I mean, the the idea that there would be a vibrator in the scene kind of enhanced it for me and made it more absurd. And I think it played to the the sort of the idea that the film was finding humor in the absurdity of it. And again, the greatest example of this is Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, finding humor in the absurdity and finding the absolute, you know, like pushing the situation to the absolute limit so that it is funny. Charles Melton, the the funny, the interesting thing here is that Charles Melton feels like he's in a drama, right? Like he feels like he is uh, firmly within a drama, uh, within a drama film. So it kind of plays that balance. But there are funny moments too when he's like with his son when he's getting, weed, yeah, weed. Yeah. Like, but but then it's like... It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it turns. It's grounded
0: in a... Yeah, in but a, that's in what I'm saying. Yeah. The humor is realistic. Uh, <laughs> as far as her performance, it's funny. I thought she did a great job in the movie. I was not particularly sad that she wasn't nominated for Best Actress. Um Because that scene... I, I don't know. I've talked about this before. You know I hate... Not hate. I have a hard time connecting with stories about writers writing or researchers research yeah yeah. and so while i think like what she does in that scene Mm -hmm. is an exquisite um example of craft Mm -hmm. i i i'm like what a great what a great exercise that was Mm -hmm. and i don't really like i don't know it didn't it didn't pull me more into the character. I was too busy looking at the great acting uh, exercise that Natalie Portman was doing.
1: For if uh, for Cal- uh, Callan, if you didn't see it, I think a good movie to check was Ruchu, oh, I've forgotten how to pronounce his name, but uh, Drive My Car, which was nominated a couple of years ago. Um, the film is a portrayal of a theater actor working through his trauma through a performance. Um, and it's an interesting one to kind of compare Maybe yeah. December two. It'll be also. we'll want yeah. to revisit.
0: She, she does. Uh, Natalie Portman does a wonderful job in that film. And also, I don't know if you saw there's recently a viral video. I don't know if it's recent or, or old, but it's her meeting Rihanna. They both okay. meet each other outside, like a car, and they both fangirl so <laughs> fucking hard. It is adorable. She also is a
1: great SNL. She does. She was great on SNL. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, yeah.
0: Natalie Portman slays yeah. in everything. But it's just so funny to see both of them. These yeah. two like women Icons. at the absolute top of their game. Yeah. Just like fold for each
1: other it's very very funny <laughs> uh what does jacob write to us about oh
0: jacob says it's been a while since i have written and i love writing in so it's time to remedy the situation uh, i firstly want to know your thoughts on movie advertising that gives the impression of a movie that is starkly different from well the actual movie so what yeah i get what you say i, I see where this is leading Uh, He continues, this has been on my mind because Wonka and Mean Girls are musical films that really hid that fact in their trailers. I went to both not thinking I was seeing a musical. I personally don't mind such a surprise, but I was curious if you think this marketing strategy is disingenuous or it is indicative of a lack of faith in a film by its distributor. If the strategy is to identify and win over audiences that might not usually see a certain genre. I'm good with a bit of exposure therapy, <laughs> but if it's just a swindle for money with no real expectation of providing the swindle o- the swindled audience with something that they might enjoy, uh, I'm less on board. Another example in a different genre uh, was I vaguely remember Mother. I love Mother so much being advertised uh, to appeal to horror fans. I think that delivered. That's my personal take on that. Uh, Jacob uh, continues. Also, I wanted to share a new type of movie going experience I had before seeing a Ferrari I read the screenplay or well half of it because I was a little pressed for time <laughs> and then I read the second half after my viewing it was pretty neat to see the blueprint that led to uh, what was created for the screen I decided to do this because I wasn't sure if I really wanted to see Ferrari but knew that I would find this exercise interesting regardless of whether or not I love the film ha- have either of you ever done something similar or have any fun tips for uh, uh, a neophyte on things to look out for when poking through a screenplay as a fan of the medium thank you jacob thank you jacob uh okay let's let's back up actually no let's start with the screenplay thing because we just finished that and we'll back up from there
1: so uh this was a i I did email jacob back uh this was an exercise that we had to do in screenwriting class same and uh it was it's i I find it really really useful particularly when you read something go i don't know if this is going to be a good film and then you watch it and go that was great or vice versa where you read something that was great and don't feel it made a necessarily a good film um i think it's a really really useful exercise i recall doing it um the, the most notable one for me was a couple of Frank Darabont films, um, the, Gr- the Green Mile and uh, The Majestic, were two films which I read and went, I don't think this is g- these are going to be great movies. Then I watched those movies and I was like, I don't think these are great movies. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those those were like really uh, formative in my mind. I, I really do think it's a great exercise. It is a very specific exercise for people who are interested in writing because it it's you are ruining the movie experience. Um, but purposely ruining it because you want to see how the movie is constructed. It kind of helps to watch the movie a couple of times as well and just think about how that structure works. And it's one of the reasons why I miss the 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 sort of the DVD extra. You know, the DVD extra was really a worthwhile um, thing for filmmakers. I think P.T. Anderson talked about it a while that his main source of you know like film school is watching just a lot of dvd commentary yeah um you know where people are talking about the construction of a scene as you're watching the scene um and realizing how much work goes into that so i love this exercise um Mike, you know michael mann's a great writer um so i'd be curious to check out ferrari in that way and uh you know i i you know jacob you're doing it right there's no there's no writer there's no neophyte to this it's it's basically read the screenplay then watch the movie and then see how you respond to it um, in a different way, you know. Like, uh, I, I, I always think about scenes that, like, I read that don't make sense on the page, and then you kind of see the movie and go, "Oh, that's what they were thinking about with that."
0: Yeah, I, I, I've never read a script to a movie before I've seen it. Mm-hmm. What I have done, and it's more to be Didn't perfect. You just say you did this for screenwriting class. I did. Oh, oh, I've never read the. I've read it after the fact. Okay. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Not. No. Ma- maybe it's not the exact same thing you had said yeah. or or whatever. Uh, no. So I have not. Okay. Um. I have read scripts for movies that I have not seen. Yeah. Um. Uh, but normally it's me exploring like a genre movie that I really like. Like I've read, you know, Terminator Two. I've read mm-hmm. Escape from New York. I've read mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Like I, it's more of a curiosity to see what has changed since. But those are all movies that I have. I think I've memorized the scripts or yeah. or the 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 final version what we saw on screen. Yeah. Um, it's always interesting though. I, um, I'd be interested in doing it again, depending, or even trying to read one first for a movie, especially like, I like that Jacob had mentioned he wasn't sure if he really would care for Ferrari or not. So he's like, this is a perfect exercise. I think that's a really fun way to make something you think you might not engage with on a normal day. Uh, more, more, you know, meaningful or or me- helps you meet it halfway in
1: a sense. I think I actually did this on the podcast, and I was because I was thinking of an example as you were talking uh, was American Beauty, the Alan Ball uh, screenplay, because a really fascinating screenplay in terms of how much of it changed um, to get it to screen. Now I know that movie is kind of controversial as a Best Picture nominee a winner, um, but uh, I think for the podcast, I read the screenplay rather than see the movie. Um, for that for that episode. And this is going back like way back in the day. That feels like something you'd do. Yeah, it's that, feels like, yeah that, that checks out. So uh, welcome, Jacob, to the Shaheer uh, approach to watching movies. Mm. And then this, uh, yeah. the musical thing, I sent uh, Jacob another follow-up email. Uh, Matt Singer of its Screen Crush wrote uh, an article about this, this idea that you know films like Mean Girls, The Color Purple in particular, Wonka, um, weren't really selling the fact that they were musicals, um, you know, primarily in Color their... Color Purple ad- kind of did. Color yeah. Purple told like... Wonka showed no songs. Well, also, the, the thing about Mean Girls and Color Purple in particular is that they are they are very specific use cases, which is they are uh, movies that are based on musical adaptations of a movie. Whereas Wonka was a musical. Yeah, and, and actually also of a book. Both adaptations of books originally as well. So... Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's it's a case of swindling per se as a part as a, maybe as a, as much of a marketing decision. I think in the case of Wonka, Wonka has actually done very very well at the box office. I don't know the numbers. I know uh, Color Purple had like a a great run around Christmas and then dropped off pretty quickly. I'm not sure where Mean Girls sits right now.
0: I, uh, it's funny. I wish that Mean Girls advertised the songs. to me when a musical doesn't advertise the songs. Yeah, the marketing department doesn't believe the songs are good enough to get people in the seats. And because otherwise, why would everyone always leads with the thing that they think is going to get people in butts and seats? Now, whether or not they're right about that, that's one way that's, you know, I can't say that. Yeah. But I did note specifically, especially like in the logo for Mean Girls, they hide a musical note. Right. And I'm like, okay. but also until I learned it was a musical. Mm. I was like, you're fucking remaking, what, 2006's Mean Girls? Yeah. And Tina Fey is playing the same kid. Ca- like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, why? And then I was like, oh, it's an adaptation of the musical. They got the woman who's in the the music. Like, I t- oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. That would have made me, again, the movie is probably not pointing at me. Yeah. But I love Mean Girls. I did love Mean Girls. And yeah. I, I was not excited to see it until I heard it was a musical, because then I was like, oh, that's something that is different that I have not seen, but then they played none of the music from the musical <laughs> in the trailer. I'm like, are you ashamed of your music musical? Um, so yeah, I know I'm right there with you. And Jacob, I think it's both. I think it is a way to, it's like, you can have your cake and eat it too, as a, as a distributor, as a uh, advertiser for this thing. It's both, uh, it can be a, a kind thing to get people out of their comfort zone, but it can also be the thing that they think is going to get the most butts in seats and get at least tickets ripped, you know? Yeah. So yeah.
1: Uh, Jose finally writes and in. Hey guys, Jose here. I, I think you should a scare on the street a few months ago. Um, Jose, it was you! Hey, Jose, one of the greatest mo- moments of my life was being recognized on the street for a podcast. Um, so, so not a scare at all, just a, a surprise that it ever happened. Uh, what a great movie uh, year 2023 was. This past weekend, I've had some time to catch up with Saltburn, Poor Things, Godzilla Minus One, and Anatomy of a Fall happens to be the movie we're talking about today and is why your email is placed last on this list. Here goes why one-linish thought. Saltburn, even though it was easy to compare at film's uh, two films that stuck with me more. Theme-wise, this is one of the most beautiful 16mm looking films I've ever seen, I've seen in a while. Also, thank you for mentioning the title of the last song. It is Murder on the Dance Floor. Mm-hmm. Poor Thing, such a funny, thought-provoking movie and fun one to talk about. La La Land wasn't a great choice for her, but Emma Stone does a perfect job here. I'm recommending it left and right and I'm scared of what my reaction might be if people come back to me not liking it. Um, is that a, is that a good mo- movie to watch with your mom? There's this conversation about like no. m- movies to watch with your family salt no. and, and
0: poor things. But telling your friends, feel free to lightly smack whoever doesn't like that movie in the back of
1: the head. <laughs> Godzilla, I admit to that I went into this with very high expectations, which didn't help. I think we hyped that up as well. I appreciated the great VFX treatment and historical perspective. I Otherwise I found myself a bit disengaged apart from the opening and final scenes. And finally, Anatomy of a Fall. This is another fun conversation starter and will be in my top 10 list. I hope you all find the time to do it. A very good example that a simple, well-written script with a few good actors will keep you from putting on that sick and sock. Uh, stay warm. And I love that reference, uh, Jose. We're talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, one sock movie. Yep. It's a great uh, descriptor. Um, we have done all of these movies on the podcast, so we will not extend that conversation further, except for the fact we have not talked about Anatomy of a Fall, which is the movie we're going to discuss tonight. Hey, Shahir, do you want to know what the internet movie database says Anatomy of a Fall is about? <laughs> you know, it's, I was trying to think of like a, a good, like, Harold Lloyd, you uh, lose a war with gravity. That's an Anatomy of a Fall. <laughs> jesus christ well that's not what they went with okay uh the imdb
0: says a woman is suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral
1: dilemma as the main witness what is that what is that uh, line in uh in a blind will the one-eyed man is king sure <laughs> you know like yeah um i don't know how that applies here i don't know either <laughs> um now, as I mentioned, I saw this uh, uh, a few months ago uh, by myself in a movie theater, and walked out, kind of dumbfounded by the fact that I had seen probably one of the best films of the year in entirely by myself in a movie theater, and I was staggered by that. I mentioned it to you several times over. I was like, "Hey, this is one of the best movies of the year. We got to see this." Um, I won. So, so I think you kind of know what my opinion is. I've said it on the mm-hmm. podcast before. I'm very curious if i've overhyped it for you if i've uh, if i've if i've ruined that experience somehow if the fact that it got nominated for an oscar this week for best picture and best director uh has changed your opinion about as like, I didn't know that for, before i watched it has framed your opinion about it in any way how did what did you think of anatomy of a fall
0: so <laughs> before that yeah. i want to talk about something that is slightly connected to but not directly about anatomy of a fall okay i watched this movie i rented it on prime okay and uh parts of this movie are in english Mm -hmm. and parts of it are in french and i thought the way that the movie did that back and forth and made it a bit of a of a piece of it like we talk a lot about language on the show and like and native languages versus your second or a learned language or something else or having to you know whatever and the fact that that was kind of a not a not the most pivotal thing, but, uh, you know, one of the characters is an outsider. We'll talk about it in a little bit in mm-hmm. France. She speaks English, uh, but she can speak some French. But then when she gets flustered, she kind of goes back to English and they want her in the court because it's a French court to speak yeah. French. And, and it's real interesting. Mm-hmm. The only subtitle track. Was uh, English closed caption. Oh,
1: really? Huh.
0: So I couldn't. Turn off closed caption. So something that... Act, I'm going to watch this movie again. Yeah, okay. So a lot of this movie, at least the closed captioning, in my opinion, felt overboard. It was like discordant piano, discordant yeah, piano that's stuff. And, that, cap- and that's, that's what it is.
1: what closed captioning is. But
0: like for me, because I, 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 I totally want closed captioning to be there for folks that need it. It, yeah. it lets them experience films. I... It was such a distraction hmm. for me because... And I think more so... Because so here's subtitles that is now three different things. So there's English subtitles, even for the English. There's English subtitles where I need it for the French. And then there's closed captioning, which I don't need, but distracts me because I don't need them. And again, just for me. I know right, right. they should exist for other people. I'll
1: just say this. Uh, I, I, I saw this at the movie theater and I rented it on Apple TV and Apple TV had uh, it was aware that I was an English speaker or it basically had auto captioning uh, where uh, it would. There would be no captions for English speakers and then uh, captions for I will rent.
0: I will rent it again on Apple. Yeah. Uh, So that threw me ever so slightly. And I was like and actually I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and a lot of people complain about this across the board on Prime. Yeah. Like they're real lazy with that shit. Okay. So anyway,
1: that was I I, I don't know. Again, we haven't talked about the movie here, but I always find and this is maybe just like influence marketing or. Uh, perception at this point, but I I find like even though the price is the same, Apple TV feels like a more premium experience. I mean, Prime. I think it's just the brand. Yeah, but then Prime does like I feel like Prime, the quality feels lesser. The, the I, I, I here's, here's what I'll here, say. I know, know. I, don't, I don't want
0: to go down this rabbit hole too yeah. much, but there the differences are prestige or ease of use, mm-hmm. and Prime is simple. Yeah, but I I I can't order a movie on Apple. Plus, you have to go into your phone or your login or something. I find that so easy. I just because basically what I do is I rent it on my
1: phone and then I can watch it on any device.
0: I that's two devices when just one device should be able to fucking do it. Right. That, again, regardless, okay. I agree with you.
1: Yeah. I think it and I think that's <laughs> branding and I think
0: that's yeah. how we use the things in our daily life. Regardless. Regardless of how, how, how was oh, the full. <laughs> the reason why I wanted to bring that up yeah. is because I don't have anything else negative to say about this <laughs> yeah. movie and that's not even, even about the movie do you know what yeah. i mean yeah like i i feel like i will be gushing about this thing as you did it's been a long time since i've seen a procedural as interesting as this riveting as well uh, right yeah. yeah and it's and it's so yeah, this feels pedantic, but it's
1: so small, but feels fucking huge. I, I, that was, was exactly the thought I had, which was that I hadn't walked out of a film that felt so monumental, mm-hmm. especially in a year of Oppenheimer, which like Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon, which sort of scream, "We are big." Even we are, Barbie, even Barbie, we are big, important movies. And it's not to say you know, like this is an Oscar conversation, but this was the film that felt monumental, not because of its detail, it. It is a beautiful film to look at, but it is shot very simply. And it is staged very simply. However, what is at play is the stakes of understanding the emotional content of past conversations. yep, and realizing that that can be there is a there I don't know exactly how long this is, but there is a flashback in this movie. That is done via audio recording, which honestly feels like it's about half an hour (laughs) with this stuff. And it is dynamite filmmaking. Like it is riveting from frame one of that flashback right through to the end, where you're just like, oh my God, what just happened? And you're gonna be, and you're thinking about the interpretation of that event all the way through. I like it. It's it's one part, Francis Ford Coppola's the conversation, it's another part, Paul Newman in um, not presumed uh, innocent. What, what's the film I'm thinking of? Um, the Sydney Lumet film. Um, uh, I've gone blank on the title. Everyone in the audience is screaming at me right now because they know what it is. And it's going to come to me a little bit later. Wherever you are, scream <laughs> Shaheer's name in <laughs> yeah, yeah. anger. Yeah. Um, and, and shake and, a fist. Shake a fist at me. And then absolutely devastating performances from a child actor, from a dog. And uh, <laughs> that dog, <laughs> um, I need to look up how that was done. That's incredible, right? Like, especially there's a moment where that dog has to give not a performance. And I'm sure it's like, um, uh, I'm sure they it, didn't act. This is a minor spoiler. C- I'm sure citative. they didn't actively poison the
0: dog to I, make not, that not happen. poison,
1: but there would have been some sedative involved, presumably. um, but uh, also the um uh, the, uh, the the one performance that I I don't know if has been highlighted very much, uh, but Antoine Renatz, who plays the advocate general, uh, is the guy in the red. Oh my god. <laughs> the most punchable phase. The most punchable <laughs> phase, but also like the most remarkable performance. Doing his job. Oh my god. I again I love me a good procedure. I-, I love me a good um competency porn. You know, like I love competency porn, and this this guy is like the star of like competency porn. He's so good at his job. I'm like, how did he lose this case? Even though, like, you know, the we we should get into the question of like spoiler sheet of of what we think actually happened. But like, he he does such an incredible job, um, and especially uh, the the uh, you know uh, who's the lawyer. Uh, that is uh, Sandra's friend. Um, I'm I'm blanking on names here. Um, you know, I was like, oh, he's, he's... No, Vincent. Yeah. Vincent. Yes. It was like, he does a fine job, but you're always like, you're not really convincing me here. Um, you know, like he's basically like, are you a good lawyer? And i was like, he's like, I don't know. Um,
0: <laughs> I like him because he's not like he's doing, I think he's doing good <laughs> yeah. lawyer work, at yeah. least in the movie. I mean, but what? but what I
1: love as well is that like both of these lawyers get into conversations about the interpretation of art within the lives of these two writers. And, and it is, it is riveting. I, like I said, I can't think of a more monumental film, like one that just feels like you have traversed a mountain to watch this movie. It is full of detail. The, the filmmaker I thought of, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, we've talked about him on the podcast before, was Azgar Fahadi, um, the Iranian filmmaker who's, you know, uh, we did Salesperson, I believe, on, yep. on the podcast, but like A Separation, um, The Past. You know, these are films where basically – one incident unravels an entire myriad of of stories about a couple or a relationship. Well, have you seen many of Justine Triet's other have, films? And th- this is the other thing I love about the Oscars, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And and I love about the fact that this 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 one bigot Khan was that I have I have, was not aware of Justine Triet as a filmmaker up until this point, point. and I am enraptured at this point also just shout out to sandra hula who's incredible but also you know has two films that are uh gutting for best picture this year and she is the lead of both those films um so between this and zone of interest bravo to sandra and again an incredible performance um i i think we should talk about really we should get aside from the fact that it's in a remarkably well-made film it is Incredibly, you know, um, I, I think it was Jose or someone who was, was talking about who to recommend movies for. This is a four quadrant recommend. Yep. Yeah, like this is an easy. You know, poor things is like I don't, I can't recommend that to my parents. Uh, Salper, I can't recommend to my parents, or you know, like you got to be careful about that. This is a four quadrant easy recommend.
0: I think so. I mean, anyone who likes movies will like this
1: movie. Like, I can see some of my more attention uh, uh, But I think even those people I, I think the hurdle is getting them to sit and watch the movie. I think once you're sitting watching this movie, it's impossible not to be riveted by this movie. Maybe. Like, you know, I, I, I genuinely believe anyone who sits and watches this movie for 10 minutes is not going to be able to stop watching it. It's it's as Jose says, this is a one sock movie. Maybe. If ever there was one. Maybe.
0: Uh, I think I could think of a few people. That might not, but, <laughs> but, I mean, but 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 I think it's still I, I four quadrants. T- it's still t- four quadrants.
1: I know the type of people you're talking about. What I think is the the hur- the hurdle there is getting them to sit down and convince them to watch a movie about this.
0: I think it's a I think it's a pacing thing. I think it's a, this movie is a bit of a slow burn, not I mean, in a bad I, way. It,
1: I didn't think it was slow at all. I mean, I think I it I was think, like riveting. No, it, like I think riveting.
0: I, I don't think this movie is breakneck. Oh I, I think no. I think this movie, uh, this movie has a rhythm and this movie has a pace that is, I found re- it's like attention grabbing. But I would never, I would never call it oh
1: breakneck. I I see. I, I think there's this thing uh, we talked about. No, Bombach is a you know who's one of the co-writers of Barbie. Um, you know when I saw Margot at the wedding or um, the Squid and the Whale. Which wedding did you see Margot Robbie at? <laughs> the go, actually, it's funny. That's yeah. it's funny. That's funny. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, that was Nicole Kidman because uh, she came to a place. Uh, she comes to a place like this to to feel. Um,
0: Heartbreak feels, feels good, good in a place, in a place like, like that. this. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, We just made a lot of connections there. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of sidesteps. steps. Um, no, Bombach. One of the things I love about his movies when he's writing and directing is they are dramas that feel like action movies. Like In terms of like how quickly they turn, how quickly the pace accelerates, how quickly the stakes rise, they feel to me like an action movie. And this felt like that. This felt breakneck in terms of, okay, the first thing that happens is this really awkward interaction where, again, I will never listen to uh, 50 Cent's PIMP in any other way. Um, only that uh, only, drum uh, uh, only steel drum instrumental version. And I've played it at my house very loudly, and my wife was going... Turn it off, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" In about a week's time, you're gonna know what I was doing. <laughs> Either that, she's seen gonna... it since then. No, she hasn't yet. Either uh... that, or I'm gonna end up dead at some point. Um, but, but I think the way that this, you know, the film starts there, you know, immediately afterwards has a has a death, uh, an inexplicable death that leads into a case that in- implicates. Uh, a character that we've sort of just barely gotten to know, and then we start discovering her backstory. and, and the back Like story a juror would. And and the backstory of this relationship. And then just one of the most incredible courtroom sequences in the history of film. Like, without a doubt, this is up there as, you know, like 12 Angry Men and this, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so it, it, it's... It's incredible filmmaking. And again, I, I want to get us past that point because it is just all gushing and talk about, you know, <laughs> there, was a, there was an early campaign for this film which was like, did she do it? And, and, I, and it was like, I, it was, you know, we talked about the Mean Girls thing just before. It was a campaign that didn't work for what the film actually is. right? Because the more, and I've seen the film twice now, I don't care whether she did it or not. That's not what I'm interested in here. I'm interested in the exploration of how a relationship functions and and how this relationship, when put under the microscope, can go you can look at it either way. It's funny. I don't think weirdly
0: their their relationship is front and center in the movie. Um, obviously. Uh Sandra's relationship with um I can't remember the the
1: husband's name. Uh Samuel? D- uh, no. No, it wasn't Daniel. No, <laughs> sorry. Daniel's the kid. Daniel, Daniel's the kid. Uh, sorry, sorry. We are terrible at that. It is Samuel. Yeah. M- Maleski. Yeah.
0: Uh, like, obviously, that's a, a big sort of uh, one of the main sort of like info pumps mm-hmm. uh, not a dump, but yeah. like a, like the thing that gives us information about what happened in the carriage, et cetera. Honestly, it's the relationship Daniel has to his family family mm-hmm. that really I think is the is the crux of everything here yeah um, and it's it's funny I watch this with Jamie and um, she we were talking about like oh do we think this that and the other thing did, the, yeah. did she do it did she not do it and in my head the way that this movie presents everything with everything that is said uh, and that we see there's no way in hell she did it now, again, that's all subjective because it, 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 the movie, while it does give a verdict, it does not specifically say yeah. or, or show whether or not she did it, yeah. but that's not as interesting to me. The interesting thing to me is all of the information presented into the lens of like a, what, a 13 year old boy who is 11, 11 yeah. uh, who is blind, whose blindness is a not, it is a indirect consequence of the relationship in question. Yeah. Um, having to square all of that in front of a court and make honestly a decision, which I think he based on, based on everything that that kid does in the movie, kind of just sort of like a logic of the why in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that journey, even though the first half is very much about the mother and the father who died uh, is sort of relationship and, and unraveling that it, the pendulum swings about a halfway to maybe two thirds through to this is fucking Daniel's show. Yeah. And Daniel is the, the journey that that character goes on, I think was the most fascinating. And so here's the thing. Do I think that um, Sandra killed Samuel? Yeah. No. Do I think Daniel knows definitively that Sandra didn't kill Samuel. No. Yeah. But Daniel makes a choice based on a lot of the ways that people deal with complicated situations in their lives. He chose sort of a logical stance on it and pulled information that he had.
1: And he, he could have also just been not making it up, But twisting it so that he could get his mother home.
0: But see, so sure, but. He could could have been. But well, well, in my description right now, (laughs) I've been making it very clear. Like, I've been trying to make it so I'm describing things the movie shows us, not things the movie doesn't show us. And the movie never shows us Daniel making things up.
1: Yeah. So so, there's an interesting thing, which is that something that Daniel mm says. And something that uh, it was going to be my quote here which is that with no witnesses or confession, we must interpret. And you know what what Daniel's final monologue is, we must interpret, like, why would someone do this? You know? And yeah, I don't think and, Daniel's lying. no. and and I think, you know, he he basically says, with no one there, this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. you know, and 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 oddly, the court kind of agrees with them, which is that with with so much information, with so much of a dissection, with so much of an anatomy of what has happened here the we, fall being out a window or yeah, a balcony yeah. we should interpret what it is we want to believe because there's no there is no actual truth that would make sense to any of this like like at some at some points it could have been that that um uh, samuel killed himself it could have been that he was driven to do it because of because of the relationship between him and sandra um, it could have been that it was an accident, you know, complete accident. Like he just fell. Um, it could have been one of many things and, and, you know, like in some parts it still could be that Sandra did it. There's still, you know, like you could still look at this and go, it's possible, right? It's
0: possible, but nothing in the film overtly points you towards it. It's just, you haven't seen the definitive moment. So you can have doubts.
1: Yeah. You can have doubt about it. And, and I think that's, you know, like the, the who done it campaign of this is 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 going to fail because that's not what's interesting
0: yeah and what- it's funny uh jamie jamie i want to give her full credit for this she coined this uh earlier today she said something along the lines of the movie's title anatomy of a fall obviously is about a person who was killed or committed suicide out a window yeah they they're they're dissecting the 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 anatomy of the fall like where the blood splatters yeah. hit yeah. how could this have worked if it was here how could it have worked if here if he was pushed if he was lifted if he fell like all that stuff the fall isn't the the fall that we're analyzing is not that fall, though. The movie is talking about the analytics of a physical fall. It is the looking at the looking backwards and analyzing the lives and relationships of two people falling apart. Yeah. And, and that's the fall that we're analyzing. The whole courtroom is, is because they can't prove one way or another for the physicality of the actual falling body. They have to, they have to analyze A fall of a relationship.
1: Yeah, and and it's kind of remarkable because it's like, uh, you know, you sort of this is law one hundred and one coming back to me as well. And I recall this in law one hundred and one. How many jobs have you had? Well, that's that's a that's a course. So You just, I just took know. law. I, I have a degree in commercial law. And right. So, how I'm, many jobs did you? Have? <laughs> I did, I did not, I, I've never been a practicing lawyer. <laughs> you, 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 you're a lawyer. You're a filmmaker. You're the Black not, Power Ranger. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. You. Uh, <laughs> I have a de- So, it, and it, and by the way, it is not difficult to get a degree in commercial law. Uh, I have a degree in commercial law and accountancy, and I have a degree in. Um, uh, screenwriting and a degree in film and English and memorizing your degrees yeah I've it's it I there was a point where I went up to this st- when we did the ceremony I got four degrees at once um thunder, <laughs> including man. my masters um but but uh, in law 101 the 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 distinction between an adversarial plus an interrogatory <laughs> system so in the United States um, and, and in New Zealand, we have an adversarial system, which is where the court essentially acts as a, um, an arbitrator between two parties who are seeking justice between each other. And the court settles the difference. Or Judy does. Oh, jury, yeah. Judy. Judy, Judge Judy does. (laughs) (laughs) Jury duty. Uh, Judge jury duty. Um, But uh, what this film- Judge dread jury duty. Judge Judge, jury jury duty. (laughs) What this movie presents is the French system, which is an interrogatory system. I I believe that's the the phrase for it. But, or non-adversarial, which is, and they describe it in this film- is the judge is investigating? Did you did you catch yeah, that at the beginning yep. of the film? And so that's what's different in in the French court system, which is that the 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 actual court takes an active role in the investigation because it's not then left to two sides, you know, f- fighting out. Because the the idea with the two sides fighting it out is it's not about who's right or wrong; it's who can put together the best argument. Whereas in the non adversarial system, it's about what are the facts of the case that an independent um, body can actually uh, identify and come to a resolution of? Um, and and um, another movie that's really good at uh, depicting this is The Secret in Their Eyes, which I believe is Argentinian, mm. but has a similar system as well. Um, it's fascinating that what happens in the courtroom is that the admissible and inadmissible parts – become the interpretation of the relationship. Right. You know, like in an, in an adversarial system where the ground rules are so like laid out about what we have to discover facts, I can't imagine anyone trying to enter in evidence that she wrote this book, which suggested a character's thinking about someone's death as evidence um, you know, for why she might have been responsible for his death, right? Like, I just can't imagine that, that any courtroom would ever take this, now again, a, a better legal mind than mine Will will probably have a you know more precedent for that.
0: We tried we tried getting uh, Devin from Legal Legal on this episode and he couldn't make it. But uh,
1: I just would have loved to hear it, like uh, I'd be curious. And once,
0: he had not seen it yet, and, and uh, I believe he was traveling by yeah. the time. So the uh, I, I'm curious. I'm going to ask him about it because yeah. uh, this feels like something I'd be very interested. in.
1: I would be happy to relitigate this episode <laughs> <laughs> with him on board or any lawyer. We do a bonus episode <laughs> yeah. or something just to just to relitigate how. You know the actual process works here because again the sequences where um, uh, Renard, the Advocate General, is like going through interpretation and and they're basically debating on uh, on the courtroom floor and then asking asking Sandra Holler to interpret what has just been said. You know, like at one point they're they're also investigating or they start talking to a psychologist to to miss uh, to Samuel psychologist yeah. and it becomes a case of like. He now has to interpret what he thinks has been going on in the relationship. And he does this incredible thing, which is he blames her. Yeah. He's I like, have you ever heard of a therapist or a psychologist saying, no, it's actually that person's fault? Actually, yeah, a lot of times. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh,
0: like, it, it's more common than you think, weirdly. Right. Because there's actually i oh, God, there's a phrase for this. Email us in <laughs> an only podcast at gmail.com. There's a phrase for the, the trappings you can get in with the psychologist mm. that sort of like, depending on how weirdly, depending on how charismatic the patient is, yeah. you inadvertently do start taking their side. Stockholm like, Syndrome. I mean, <laughs> but like, I mean, I guess a distant yeah. cousin of it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but like he he does, and it's like I, I'm. Surprised. Well, you can have your belief too, and then
0: she brings up a good point. Like, well, if I was talking to someone yeah, the entire yeah. time, like you'd get it from there, and then it's different. So what up? But, but
1: it's it's amazing that the psychologist gets up on stage, uh, gets up on the stand, and is basically like, no, 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 you you uh, you were the barrier to his uh, happiness. And listen, it's he's like, not getting
0: paid anymore, so. <laughs> um, well, it's either that. I mean, here's the thing. This, it's interesting. Looking at a psychologist's, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, motive in yeah. that moment, either she was just his ultimate force and, and like she, she didn't drive him to suicide, but she was so angry or whatever that he killed, that she killed him yeah. or he's a terrible psychologist. He's a terrible like, psychologist. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so he's up there kind of defending his I, practice. I, I
1: also love the guy who had discovered the audio recording and had like the person who discovered the audio recording was suddenly being asked what his opinion of the audio recording was. And I was like, yeah. who cares what that guy thinks about the audio recording? Like, who is this guy? Yeah, he's the
0: yeah, he's the guy he who was, found a but, USB stick.
1: Yeah, but he was like, he was being asked to interpret what he thought. You know, he was like, this person's feeling so much rage. And I believe that he was the one that attacked her based on this audio recording because he's feeling so angry. And I was like... what is happening in this courtroom? I
0: find USB audio recording sticks all the time. Right. And I am an expert. And
1: I know (laughs) what I'm hearing. He he also felt like he was like pissed off. There was something about the way that character was played where it kind of felt like he was pissed off that a man had died because of a woman. Like, I don't know why I was, I was reading that oh, like real, not incel vibe, but like real, like, um, sure. you know, I don't know what it was, but there was something about him that kind of read that way. And this is again, interpretive. Um, uh, but you know, then, it, then you're right, which is the third act of this film is really turning this on the idea that Daniel has the keys to this. And, and, you know, pulling from Jamie's, um, Jamie's interpretation, I think another way to think about this is the fall began when Daniel got hit by a motorcycle. Yeah. You know, that's the beginning of the fall. might have been a beginning a little bit
0: sooner, like, because there were cracks in the relationship Well, because they were trying that. to
1: figure out, like, who gets the opportunity to write. And, and I think what this kind of harkens to that I think is interesting, you know, and bringing into personal lives as well, is that every relationship has its own contract negotiation that goes on. And it is a delicate contract negotiation. And there's no right or wrong to it because everyone's negotiation is entirely different. You know, like every couple, depending on how long they've been together, has to negotiate the parameters of how they're going to live together from this point forward. You are, you know, uh, in a, in a, in a permanent relationship that has been offered. permanent you hear that Jamie it's well, permanent well I, by the court of Shahir. can I can I say the thing Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you, yeah absolutely you, you guys are about to move into well we're working
0: we're figuring out what that's
1: gonna look like yeah yeah exactly and, and I and so that is we had the this conversation today.
0: today the minor thing we talked about today was because we <laughs> both work from home and we yeah. both take meetings something I've never done yeah is close the office door yeah because I think in the background of my camera it looks cooler to look out the door than a flat door with nothing on the wall yeah uh and I was like oh I you know we're gonna have to start closing doors and doing that thing, I'm like yeah, she goes. Also, we probably should invest in some good headphones. Yeah, uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this wasn't an argument by any means, but it was just one of those things where it's you're like negotiating the space.
1: Yeah, and and your negotiation is unique to you, and to an outside party, there might be things in your negotiation that are like ludicrous, but it's like, but they work for you. Yeah, you know, and and that's the same in my relationship. There's all sorts of strange negotiations that have gone on in my because you know, like we're actually. Um, it was funny. We just went to a wedding last weekend or a couple of weekends ago and I posted a photo because we were in a photo booth and um, and I found that we had this old photo from another photo booth that was 15 years apart. And so I said, this is what- Oh, 50- I saw those. I think I saw those. Yeah, this is what 15 years looks like. And everyone was like, this is your 15 year anniversary. And I was like, actually, we're coming up on 20 years yeah, right now. Yeah, And I was like, oh my God, it's been almost 20 years. And it's like, it's been an incredible 20 years. And And- It's it, half your life. It is half my life. And it's like, The parameters of that negotiation, it's not a one-time thing. It is fluid and changes, and it changes depending on the day. Negotiations are actively (laughs) commencing. There's no end to negotiations. Um, And so I, I think in terms of this film, what's really fascinating is like this couple had this immense traumatic experience that led to profound guilt and shame within it. And within that guilt and shame came new parameters of their relationship, which were not agreed upon and were not, um, and were not happily negotiated. And that conversation that we hear, which was the, the 30 minute flashback that was caught on a USB drive, was basically him saying, this is no longer working for me. But it, what, what she doesn't, or I mean she does say it during the film as well, is that she, as you pointed out, Is a German that moved to London that has now moved to the sort of uh, countryside of France, and is looked down upon because she cannot speak the language as well. And this was part of what he wanted, and so she's living this life now where she is like you know made a made a huge compromise to a husband whom she is angry with for having, argued, I don't know if neglected is the right word, but like there is this thing that's happened that that they share that she blames him for that he feels shame for that you know even though. He wasn't the person that was there. It was just that he he made a choice at a so the moment.
0: There's something interesting. Uh I found myself being like, who in this argument taking the murder out of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who in this argument do I agree with? Yeah. And I find that I lean towards her with the exception of she rambles on, not rambles, she 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 makes very salient points about all those choices yeah she they they made the she made the sacrifice to go out there she's doing this thing they had to do um but there's an interesting thing that always happens in all these conversations about relationships yeah and that is both people decide to stay in them yeah and that is something that like kind of evens the playing field in my opinion because they I'm not saying breaking up is easy, especially when your lives are entwined, especially with a child, like a thousand percent. Yeah. But there is an active choice to stay in it. Now, in some cases, and life changes people. Now I'm just going into relationship advice, yeah, but in, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. case of the film, even if they were happy before, and then this accident with Daniel happened just due to a, a, an accident or, or negligence or wherever you want to put it. Yeah. Then that changes one member that changed him and kind of broke him a bit. Yeah. And he became depressive. He became possibly suicidal. Yeah. And, uh, to not as a person on the other side, her to not, um, think, it felt like she didn't feel like the, the she felt like the concessions from her had already been made for that fact. Yeah. When there's no real squaring that you have to if you're you know with someone with a depressive or, or anything mm-hmm. like that or, or or something that changes and people you can mm-hmm. get hit on the head and have a whole bunch of different stuff, you know, yeah. or whatever. There's a choice. Yeah. You stay if you do. And so then when it becomes like, well, I did this for you and you did this for me and this whole thing, it's like you're both choosing this. Right. But it, the- it, it's hard and it's difficult, but like no one can be right. Again, before the murder, yeah. uh, because both parties are is it choosing murder? it.
1: Is murder the right word? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was, was it murder on the dance floor? Yeah. Um, the other thing is that she had an affair. She had a couple of affairs. yeah. You know, like, so she broke the boundaries. But of- she had an affair because yeah. he fell off the face of the earth after the accident. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like yeah, it's all relationship stuff. I'm I'm not suggesting that the affair means that she broke the boundaries of the relationship. You know, because as you say, they're still in the relationship. Um, Well, it could have done
0: both. like that's the weird thing.
1: But also, and then our introduction to the film is him being obnoxious, like with this music while she's having an interview. Yeah, you know, so like you're you're seeing this kind of
0: because she's an attractive journalist. And she knows that he knows that his wife is bisexual and like he maybe is not jealous, but at the same time he's like, well, I can be a dick because you've cheated on me before. And I know you're going to flirt with this lady. So fuck you. Like
1: there's like. It's and then so, we get a conversation with that lady where she's like was it a seduction? And he's like I, like I couldn't believe the 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 lawyer was asking this question was it seductive? And she's like no, it just felt like a normal conversation. Yeah. She just she just seemed like she was being nice. Yeah. And then like, you know, it was weird that this music was playing so loud. As like there's when I said at the beginning this film felt monumental is that a it felt like a depiction of ordinary people in a way that was both realistic and and captured the the kind of multifaceted look at a human being that movies rarely encapsulate. Yeah. Like like that was this is not a dig. Like, uh, Oppenheimer is a movie I love. Right? I, I think it's. I, I we talked about it on the podcast. I think it's very good. There are many one-dimensional characters on, in that film. I would that, argue most of them. That don't feel like real human beings. They feel like ideas for human beings.
0: Yeah, they feel and, like Christopher Nolan's yeah. various pieces of his psyche made yeah. into people.
1: Pu- yeah, puzzle pieces made into made into uh, given dialogue. Um, that's not to say that, you know, not to say that I don't like that film immensely. I think no, I do. I love <laughs> archetypes. And, yeah, and, and I also loved what that film, you know, the sort of mountain that that film was trying to do. But this also feels like, like, like Justine Trier managed to embody the film with such a degree of realism and complexity that you just don't see. And it's like, it takes time and effort and skill to do that. And it's done so well here and so fluidly that at times you don't feel like you're watching a movie.
0: That's, that's what you, I was going to say. It's beyond realism. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. It's audience surrogacy in a way few uh, experienced ever so fewly. in uh, that's mm. a terrible way of putting it. But in movies, like <laughs> like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, because a lot of movies just choose not—I mean, there's obviously craft behind the film as well—but yeah. many movies outside of this don't take the time to do that because that's not what they're trying to do. And it's real inter- or Maybe they are trying to do too, but like it is just real interesting when you get to see something like this after not seeing something for a while. Like.
1: Yeah, like we're going to talk about Zone of Interest in a couple in in a week or two or whatever. I think that is going to be one of the most formally restrictive films that we're going to see, and it's got Sandra Holland in it as well. It is like a, that film. I have not seen it, but I know what Jonathan Glazer is capable of, and I've, you know, like love his movies. I think will be a really formal exercise of a movie. And it'll be interesting to see whether that formal exercise gets us to a point of emotional resonance. Right. And and this is a film that like doesn't feel formal at all, but is like incre like I said, incredibly monumental. And again, another person who's really good at this is Asghar Fahadi. Yep. Um, you know, whose films feel like they're it, it feels like they're just dis- it doesn't feel like they're written, even though they they're precisely crafted. Sure, it feels like they're discovered. You know, like like it feels like they discovered these characters and are try and are excited about telling you about them. It's
0: a it's a dig site. It, <laughs> yeah. It's an excavation. Yeah, it's, it's an uh, anatomy. It, yeah, yeah, it
1: of is, a fall. It is a, wait, no, it's a uh, autopsy of a fall. Ooh, yeah
0: uh in an investigation of a tumble (laughs) uh
1: gravity you win again gravity you win again gravity 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 is the real winner
0: (laughs) anyway we both i think love this movie you should go see it you should go experience it for yourself it's funny we just spoiled the whole goddamn thing it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like you could go watch it and you'd have just as good this this could be as uh uh, depending on the script, this could be a movie. you read the script first and then go watch I, it.
1: I would be fascinated to read the script. And again, just also the thing that you mentioned the language thing is so well played. Perfect. it's like you know like she 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 uh, mixes and matches. she has to speak to her um, like the, the the actual courtroom uh, the the judge says that the um, the guardian of Daniel while the trial is on has to speak in French. Like they have to speak in French, so she's kind of automatically. The guardian
0: doesn't have to. The, it, Sandra has, has to, to speak
1: in French in front of of the child. guardian. Yeah, yeah, in front of the guardian because she doesn't speak English. English. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's it's just you know, um, I harp on it all the time. I I hate to feel like it's like the 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 thing that I kind of get on on, but it's just like how rich is the story because of that? You know, like how much does how much. How much deeper does the film get because it embraces the language? And then at the same time, my, my brain was like, man, these Europeans who can speak like three languages, they're so smart. They're so cool. They only have three degrees, though. So you got one up on <laughs> I, that. Yeah, But I can't speak, I can't speak, although I played, um, I played uh, pool with an Albanian this week and uh, I'm going to have to, is it Persian? Pers- uh, persindice? I don't know. Yeah, what are you talking I was, about? I was like learning a couple of Albanian phrases. So I'm trying to like pick up some Albanian phrases. Well, it's, this isn't the time. Bush <laughs> And I was that's like, That's pool? That, that, no, that's hello. Oh. In Albanian. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the pool. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I was like, I love it. I love it. All love right. It. Such well, a great movie. This has been the only mm.
0: podcast about the film Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, Shahir, mm-hmm. when you are not pontificating. Mm-hmm on a very force of nature that pulls
1: you towards the Earth's core. Where can folks find you? You can find me falling at 9.8 meters squared um, at my website, www.shahirdow.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-O-D.com. Or uh, my company website, suvenova.com, That's S-U-V-A-N-O-V-A. Matt, when you are uh, performing an autopsy, on Sid force of nature where can people find you you can
0: find me debating gravity and that means me talking directly to it and trying to disprove whatever gravity wants to prove yeah. or in whatever legal system it has over at my website <laughs> uh extracredits.site. go yeah. there don't go to my personal one there's literally I went there the other day I'm like I haven't looked at this in <laughs> 10 years yeah. uh, please check out the good works we're doing over there both in the YouTube side extra history and extra credits we're wrapping up our Wu Tien series which uh, has been an absolute delight and we just released uh, uh, credits about uh, the internet killing the board game store which is really Amazon killing the board game store but that's neither here nor there uh, another another strike against you Bezos oh we're coming for you I'm sure you'll notice um,
1: <laughs> next week we got so it is gonna be one of the Oscar movies should we decide now it's American there's American but see there's a couple of movies that didn't get nominated for an Oscar that I feel really let's like, just com- plow through these three first but I, I feel really compelled because they're gonna dip out of and one of them is All of Us Strangers the Andrew Hay film. And I'm like, that movie is in theaters right now and that's going to dip away very quickly and it is one of the celebrated movies of the year. Um, All of Us Strangers is going to go. Uh, there's a couple more as well. Um, so, but yeah, write us in. at gmail.com. Tell us what you're most compelled to see um, we're I, I love this this type of move. I, I look, I didn't know who Justin Triet was honestly until now. and and I am so excited by that.
0: Next week, will it be American Fiction? Will it be Maestro? Will it be Zone of the Enders? Uh, Zone I know, of the Enders? I know, it's not it. It's a joke because every time I read uh the Zone of Interest, my brain. So the Zone uh, Zone of the Enders is a mech game that came out around the same time <laughs> as Metal Gear Solid One, right? And it came Metal the demo. No, sorry, I think the demo disc from Metal Gear Solid Two came with Zone of the Enders, okay, and so everyone bought Zone of the Enders to get that demo disc, myself included. And I try, I, I. No, there's no shade to Zone of the Enders; it just never stuck with me, except the name did. Okay, so when I keep seeing Zone of Interest, all I'm thinking of is Zone
1: of the Enders. Oddly, because I produce, I may have gave you a oh, list yeah. of, and yeah. we actually we're actually knocking through the, a lot of these um, right now. So we've done quite a few of them. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be American fiction or something, but I, I do want to get to all of us strangers, uh, um, rebel moon, <laughs> rebel moon. <laughs> if we yeah, start, of- I, I get, again, we're like a big mind. I gave Matt a list of 24 films. And then Matt tacks on at the bottom of Rebel Moon. You covered all the
0: rest. What am I supposed to do? Double your list? You're just like
1: Rebel Moon. Rebel Moon.
0: If we ever start a Patreon, the first Patreon only episode will be Rebel Moon. I've said it. It is canon. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyway, we'll talk at you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.